Hello and welcome to Author Not Present, a podcast in which we critique your submissions. This week we're going to do a piece called Of Sprites and Spirits by an anonymous author, because from now on all the pieces are going to be anonymous because it's just more interesting that way. Uh, and I'm joined as always, always being one one other time, uh, <laughs> Louise Hare. Are you going to say oh, hi? I don't know. <laughs> you ain't clear. <laughs> and Christy LeCare. Hello. Hi, LeCare and Care. Yes. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last episode. I hope you've downloaded the uh, um, the file from our website. You can go to uh, mirrorline.org slash present and you can get the file there and you can read along and then you can also listen and critique, be part of this virtual workshop because that's what this is. Um, yes. And we've had some great feedback, especially yeah. from the author, who... Yeah outed themselves yes they revealed, they revealed <laughs> themselves quite quickly is but... that the right thing to say <laughs> i don't know uh it was matt hutchinson is his name and yes. he, he and he announced himself and he was extremely pleased with um with the, the whole process yeah i think he was really excited to redraft and take into consideration what we talked about yeah so i'm glad we were helpful yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what's happening at the moment. He's now in the process of redrafting and hopefully we'll have the full copy edited piece coming out, I don't know, in a month or so. Um, so the format for today is we're going to have a little discussion about our very first time in, an, in a workshop and then we're going to move on to the critique of Sprites and Spirits and then to end with we're going to do promotion and what books we are reading at the moment. So yeah, I wanted to have a quick discussion about our very first workshop critique and what it was like and what your very first workshop experience was like. How, what was it like for you guys? What was it like for you, Louise? When was your so, first time? <laughs> actually, my first time. Um, so my very first sort of workshop experience was actually a bit different to what we're doing. It was my first sort of writing course that I did about five, six years ago. Um, and I just went along to see if I could write or come up with an idea or how how the hell do you write a book? And where was this? Um, it was at Faber Academy. Okay. But it was like a week, just like a week sort of how to write. It was like, I think it was called something stupid like write your novel in a week, which obviously is impossible. <laughs> but it was kind of like taking you through the structure and it was taught by Louise Doughty who wrote mm. Up Tree Yard. Um, so she was very generous talking about her own experiences and things like that. And then the, for the last day you had to come up with a synopsis of your novel idea and wow um, anyone who's yeah oh, um and obviously anyone who's ever written a synopsis knows that they are the devil's work yeah. anyway yep. let alone yeah. if you haven't even got a novel or you know you've got this really vague idea so we had to send these in ahead of time so people could read them and um so i'd had this little sort of vague idea i chatted to a couple of people during the week and then we sort of sat down and we went through everyone's synopsis and talked about them whether they, we found them interesting whether it was something we'd like to read that kind of thing um and actually what really surprised me because i kind of just dashed this thing together and gone i have no idea like i have literally no idea was actually getting the lift up to the classroom people started talking to me about my book idea okay mm. and i was like oh okay like it's a thing yeah like, like it's, it's a, a real thing and then as we went around and we were talking and you know some people had really good ideas some people it was kind of like more generic and it was kind of like well you know what are you actually you know, four friends live in a house. And you're like, well, what, what's the story? And that kind of thing. Um, so, but my feedback was really positive. And I was like, oh, maybe I could actually write a novel. And I think it was the first time I actually thought maybe I could sit down and do this. And actually create yeah. something. Yeah. So that was a really positive experience. And it sort of got me used to that kind of idea, you know, that kind of 
thought of sharing ideas mm. and seeing what people think. I think that was a really positive experience. Oh, that's very cool. What about you, Christine? What was your very first time? So it actually wasn't even that long ago because I have been always wanting to write and like very shy about writing and or giving it to anybody. Um, <laughs> so These I, innuendos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I signed up for Write Like a Girl, okay. three R's, um, about a year ago now. And, and what is Write Like a Girl? It's a workshop. It's usually six weeks, I believe, and it's taught by... Dr. Kerry Ryan. She's got a PhD in creative writing and she's a magical, magical teacher, a lovely, lovely woman um, who um, just is the most like nurturing presence that you could have as a first sort of writing teacher. Um, and it is exclusively for female identifying people. Um, so yeah, I signed up to that um, on the recommendation of someone I knew, actually from the F Word Collective, because they knew I wanted to write. And so yeah, I just went into it blind, like not really expecting anything, but just hoping maybe I would, I don't know, have enough confidence to actually show my writing or talk about my writing to anybody. Um, and so there was a little critique as part of that with Kerry herself. Um, and then in subsequent, I did like the next course afterwards and that was with everybody in the group critiquing you. And um, I just think Kerry does a really good job of making that quite a safe space to start yeah mm. um she has a few really good rules so we give handwritten notes to each other she asks that you know the author themselves doesn't respond you just sort of listen but it is a really good balance of positive things and things to work on and i actually found it like really revealing and i think i've since said that i've become a bit of a critique junkie because the thing is that you just <laughs> what what people respond to you have no idea what that's going to mm. be and so things that I thought were like, all right, they're like, don't understand. And things that they, that I thought were terrible, they're like, oh, I really like that. So mm. it just set me up in a good way, I think, to share work in the future. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that experience because mm. I've done lots of critiques since then and been a lot more, yeah, just confident and able to share my work, I think. Yeah. So yeah, good yes, experience it, too. It sounds like my first time was on doing the MA at Creative Writing at, here, here at Birkbeck, because that's where we are right now. We're actually in Birkbeck. Yeah. We're not in your house anymore. No, we're not. <laughs> um, uh, it was the very first time. It was uh, at the workshop. Who were you? I was with Russell Cullen Jones. Who, who were you? I was with Toby Litt. Are you with Toby Litt? Mm. Oh, yes, because I was supposed to be in that class, and then I, it was another Peter that I it was almost there. Anyway, it was very bad, and I was a bit upset because I wanted to be in Toby's class. But anyway, I, the very first one I got... Uh, <laughs> The very first piece I submitted, uh, I'd never done a workshop before. The only other person that read my work was my partner. And it was the most surreal out-of-body experience because everyone was talking about my characters like they were a real thing. So it's yeah. a bit like you said. And I was just like, what are you, what's happening? And, and the, the, the workshop was, was like yours. It was author not present. So the author just had to sit there and listen and not get involved, which I think is the right way to do a workshop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just so surreal. And I was just like wow this is insane because people are taking my work seriously and they're, they're they're talking about it like it's a real thing and they're and they're critiquing it and i've got great feedback and once the biggest thing was that everyone was like oh this is a young male character and i was like well, it's supposed to be a girl so <laughs> i've got that wrong <laughs> um that piece is not going to see the light of day um but yeah it was just a very very surreal out-of-body experience for your work to suddenly be um exposed but like you i'm now a junkie and i've yeah i'm pretty it's much so helpful yeah like you just can write and write and write something in your room or wherever forever and mm, never yeah. see something that somebody else will immediately pick out mm. for you and yeah yeah it saves you so much time i think workshopping and sharing yeah. your work because yeah. 
if things if something isn't working people will tell you and you're like instead of wasting hours and hours of time sort of going down one avenue in your work you can kind of go okay that doesn't work so I don't do that yeah. so I or I change it or people are like you know what if this character were to do this and you're like oh my god like in my actual book that's actually getting published my very the first couple of pages are directly out of a workshop I did at Burtberg yeah. and it was just this idea of having this sort of um imagining it almost like a film scene as, a, as an opening and I was just like you know I would not have come up with that myself was that was that when uh, no that was in, that was in Toby's workshop was it no that was with Julia actually. oh that was the Julia one oh, yeah. okay Julia Bell that was a very good workshop mm. we did some of it on a boat oh wow that was famous um, <laughs> what do you do when you get bad feedback in the workshop how do you what do you deal with that or when you it get negative feedback depends what you mean by negative because I've had what is like <laughs> sounds like negative feedback is actually just useless feedback okay. which is a different thing <laughs> it's a different yeah. thing though to actual negative feedback yeah. I would yeah, I would say the worst feedback I've had is people who haven't read it yeah, yeah exactly or I did have once um, in Toby's class someone just went well I didn't get it <laughs> and that was, really that was the end <laughs> I didn't get it I'm like okay like so would you like to stuff, expand on that <laughs> you can't do much with that no like, that's I mean, just a blanket statement that doesn't really like lead anywhere no. whereas like if there's actually something like you know i didn't feel this from the character or whatever mm. i don't know then at least it's like okay mm. I, my approach is just to sort of note that down and see if i can make the change or not yeah mm. um but we had the in the uh award london writers award yeah. critique groups we've had the thing where if 50 percent of the people oh, say yes. it's one way and the, and the other 50 percent say it's another mm. It's author's choice, yeah, right? Yeah. Or like the author's correct. This is Jared McGuinness's idea, who's yes. going to be on the podcast for the next one, because you can't be here for that one, can you, unfortunately? No, I'm for the next one. Oh, you are for the next the one? one the one after The one after that, we have Jared yeah. McGuinness coming in. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so 50, if it's 50-50 that the author gets it, which yes. I really like that rule. I think it's a good rule. Like, yeah. it kind of helps, because I've definitely been in scenarios where 50% of the people are like, nah. And then the other people are just like, love that line, or whatever. And yeah. it's like, well, then I'm keeping it. Yeah. You know. What would you do you have any golden rules yourself, either of you, in terms of like what you what you try to do with your own critique when you're trying to give critique? Do you try to always make it positive? Do you are you trying to always um I'm failing at this quite badly. No, I know what you mean. It's <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's I think it's kind of what Louise was touching on there, because I would never just be like hated it. Or alternatively, I would never be like love it mm-hmm. with like nothing else. Yeah. I think the important thing is to really consider like what is it that this person is trying to write yes. because mm. if you're just proceeding from i don't like x or i do like mm. y that's not necessarily helpful to the author no. so i always try yeah. to start with like what are they trying to write what is it that they're focusing on and then how can i respond to that rather than my own preferences mm. exactly things i read and i think if you have like a workshop group sometimes sometimes you're reading something brand new and sometimes you're reading something that you've already read that has been reworked, or sometimes you're reading a different part of something that you've already read. So it completely depends at what stage that person is at. If, it's a, if I know it's a first draft, then I'm all about the bigger picture. I'm not going to go, oh, you know, the grammar or the or this bit doesn't quite work or there's not continuity. I'm more about, you know, does this character work? Does this, do I know where this piece is going? Whereas if I know that this is like draft four or it's, you know, a longer novel, and I'm thinking back to what I've already read, then I'm probably going to go in a lot more 
on the detail of yeah. it and go well you know from what i've read this character personally fl- changed personality or you know you, you're using sort of prior experience so it just depends i think you have to just read the piece yeah. carefully and just take a bit of care with what you're yeah. with how you're treating it yeah. what about you peter any golden rules i think the biggest thing for me is that you have to have a thick skin you really do have to have a thick skin and you have to realise that the critique is not about your personality. It's not about your mm. soul. It's just True. about the work that you presented. Mm. And often you will know that the work isn't up to par when you hand it in and you, you have that figure. But when you get that, not negative, but that, that strong critique, you have to take it for what it is, which is somebody trying to help you. Yeah. and not somebody who's trying to diminish you. Well, that's not true, because I've been in workshops where people are just <laughs> trying, to dis- yeah. trying to destroy oh, no. each other, yeah, which is not... Which is wow. not- but see, that to me is a failing that. of, like, if someone's facilitating that workshop, yeah, they're really going to reel that in, because, like, it should be an environment that is sort of should be stated to be yeah. safe and stated to be, like, yeah. this is what we're doing, we're trying to help each other, yeah. not, like... All right, guys, time to get into the ring. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's fight this yeah. out. Yeah, it really is. Tone. It has to be a place where you leave the ego at the door. Yeah. And it's, mm. which is really hard because you're a writer. So therefore, you have a massive ego because you want people to do <laughs> your stuff. But I think that what you've got to remember is that you shouldn't, if you think something's polished, why are you submitting it for critique? Exactly. You shouldn't right. be. Yeah. So if you're totally. putting something in, it's obviously something that you're working on that yeah. you want to improve. And you have to go in there with that. Yeah, in mind. I've done that many times. Something that I know is really good. <laughs> just submit it just to get the praise. <laughs> oh, Peter. Don't do that. It's really good. Don't do that. because you know it's really you good. You will get some praise, but you'll also get some yeah, you will get criticism some because nobody criticism. likes everything. No. But also then no one's ever going to be like, you're just a genius. Congratulations. You're <laughs> the greatest writer <laughs> of all time. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. That also is not going to happen. There's no. never going to be there's never gonna be a perfect critique. Go and buy yourself yeah. a mug if you want. Yeah. Unrelenting <laughs> <Wow. laughs> praise. Yeah. yeah. So just, that's the biggest thing as well, I think. Don't submit things that you know are good. Don't bother. Also things that have been like uh, worked like to death. Yeah. Like, I think it's more like it's if, giving you, new things. if you genuinely want the help that's the time to submit. If you're like, I think I've taken this as far as I can go, but I'm not sure if I'm missing something, fair enough. Mm. But if you're like, I've done it all, it's mm. done, I'm happy with it, mm. don't submit it to no. just get some positive well, no. affirmation. Well, yeah, exactly. If you think it's finished, then you should be sending it out to journals or yeah. to yeah. agents or like whatever you're planning to do with the piece, that's when it has to move to that that stage yeah. yeah workshopping is for just a bit of a tangent when did you know your book was ready because you had a d- bit of different experience didn't you because you were working with your agent yeah. to get it ready I knew it was ready when my agent told me that's the dream that's cheating that's the dream um, and I was lucky because I you know I sent my first like 40 or so pages to a competition and got my right. agent through that competition and it was a really rough 40 pages um, of which maybe five survived through everything. Wow. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I, I had kind of had a lucky in terms of, I wrote that novel partly on the MA, so I did a lot of workshopping on the story, uh, especially in Julia's class, but then also had the agent feedback. So it was like, I could write something I knew she would tell me if mm. it wasn't working, and she yeah. did. 
several times. So, <laughs> so, so the biggest fraud is just get an agent? Is that? Uh, I mean, look, I mean, most I people, helps, yeah, I mean, 99% no, of people aren't going to have an agent exactly. for their, until they, their first book is ready. Exactly. Yeah. But also, even when you do get to that stage, I mean, the, the criticism doesn't stop. Mm. And yeah. I think if you're at the stage of writing a rough first draft and are already scared of criticism, buckle in because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. get worse and worse like I'm getting reviews online now that my yeah. book's almost about to come out and that you know it, it will never finish are they, they're mostly positive though right haven't they I think so far have they so that's far. good they're I guess the, the, when the book so, is some actually... people really hate it but, you already know, that's not I mean like one or two what are their um, critiques so um, because obviously my book addresses race so mm-hmm. I have you I think I've used the n-word once right. and it's in dialogue and it's a character who's extremely racist. Right. right. So one person had uh, wrote a big, unpunctuated, <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> one-star review about how dare I include this word that should not be allowed to be written down. Wow. Um, and I was like, well, you've probably not never had it said to your face. So if you've yeah. done that, you probably would have a thicker skin about reading it in a book and taking it in the context in which it is made. Hmm. So you know you're gonna get. But there are, there are also some people are just like, oh, you know, it was okay. Mm. I, I thought it was a bit boring in places. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. You know, people, people's expectations are different, yeah. you know, as to what books they like, what, you know, what they want from the book. I have written the book that I wanted to write. I'm really yeah. proud of it. And so, though, I mean, that doesn't particularly bother me. No. I'm like, it's, it's, not, it's that, not going to be, a, every book's not every person's yeah. cup of tea. And again, that's not a critique. That's that's just more of an opinion about your book, yeah. which is something Yeah, which is just something a, a But opinions come into the criticism, you know, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's kind of something I'd never thought about it, but yeah, you, you've, gone, you've gone into the next level of workshop, haven't you, where the entire world gets to yeah. workshop your work. <laughs> it's so amazing. You, you just have to remain silent, I yeah. guess. Yeah, but it. I mean, you know, even when you finish your books, so there's like, let's say you get an agent and they're like, oh my God, I love your book so much I want to sign you up they're still going to critique it and they're still going to make you rewrite it yeah yeah. and then I remember I mean this doesn't happen to me but I remember when we were at Birkbeck and having a lecture um, from someone who was an editor who worked for a publisher like a freelance editor and she was like people will sign books at publisher level so you've gone you've got the agent you've rewritten it you've gone to a publisher and the publisher's like yeah we love this book but now I want to rip it apart <laughs> And maybe re- rewrite it completely. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, you're doing structural stuff even at that stage. So the critique doesn't stop through the whole process. It keeps going. People are always going, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? Yeah. Um, and that's positive. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's a borderline. <laughs> but, you know, it's what needs to happen to make sure that your book is successful. Yeah. And that's why I think, as I said before, you have to... You have to leave your ego at the door at the very beginning of the process, and you have to yeah. be—you have to accept it because you are not an island. If you're a writer, you are—you're mm. a city. You're inviting people in. You want people yeah. to come in and live with you and talk to you and yeah. read your book. You can't just be an island and be like, "No, it's brilliant. Everyone, go away." <laughs> yeah. It's just, I think, a negative stereotype of how writing gets done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or an unhelpful stereotype that, like, it's just a person in a garret who, yeah. you, know, <laughs> pump, you know what I mean, pumps yeah. out a perfect whatever and that's it like that's clearly not how it happens okay i think it's time to move on to the critique cool you're gonna have like a music interlude yeah (laughs) have you not listened to the podcast (laughs) no i told you i can't stand (laughs) there my own voice
the story I'm bringing today is of sprites and spirits. Um, I guess it centers around a character called Habib, who is, I guess, a teenage boy. And he is um, playing with some other teenage boys at first in a scrapyard, but then as they sort of dare each other to do increasingly difficult things, he takes them to this sort of special place that he used to hang out with his brother um, and sort of dares them to do something more scary, I guess, just to prove his worth. Um, but it contains a kind of magical realism sort of feeling by the end, which you don't necessarily get at the beginning. So I thought it'd be an interesting one to discuss because we, you know, we have a lot we could say about genre here. We could say a lot about um, particularly, again, I'm not sure how long this was intended to be, but there's a lot of ideas here. One of the sort of subplot elements is that the brother appears to have become a terrorist mm -hmm. or an extremist um, in the Middle East. Um, so there's this sort of element of Habib kind of missing his brother and thinking of his brother who's always more courageous than him, which kind of keeps, you know, um, egging him on to do more and more daring things in front of these friends and sort of prove himself to his friends. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell, I would say. Would you um, add anything? Um, well, there's the end, of course. Yes. When the two friends, or they two actually, friends, in quotation friends? marks, they're sort of bullyish. Um, jump <laughs> yeah. into a pond. Or a, he sort of dares them to to jump then, off a high. And then they don't cliff. come up again from that's this right. pond. Mm. It's implied that the friends die, disappear, are never seen again. Yeah. Mm. Right. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. But what did we like about the story, Louise? What did you like about the story? Um, I I really like the idea of these sort of three young boys, I think they're 12. So I kind of like the whole scrappy, like I find it quite easy to sort of visualise um, that element. And I think, you know, like um, Christina was saying, there's some really good ideas. So it kept my attention all the way through, which I think is really good. I think structurally it kind of works, like you have beginning, middle and end. But there are things I want to talk about in okay. terms of those, so, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think my favourite thing was the relationship between Habib and Nasir. I think it's Nasir, or Nasser, mm -hmm. or Nasir, I think it's Nasir. Um, I think their, their relationship is the most interesting one of the story, and Nasir is not in the story, but he yes. reflects on him, and I think that brotherly love with somebody that is obviously in trouble, or is causing trouble, or is a negative character is something that I quite liked about the story. Christina? Yeah, I mean, I really like sort of the magical realism element. Though, as I said, I didn't feel that at the beginning of the piece, but I liked mm. it by the end. Um, and the other things I did like about it was just the, the way that that sort of prepubescent teenage boy life is conveyed. Um, so that in particular appealed to me just because I haven't been a teenage boy myself. So it's always <laughs> fun to kind of read that. And also I do think Habib as a character is quite empathetic. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, just an opportunity to sort of empathize with a completely different situation, which I thought was quite successful. Cool. Okay. General points, critiques. So nothing to do with line edits. Let's just start mm. with the, the broad stuff. Um, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I... I think it's lacking in detail in some places. So there are some bits where I'm trying to imagine because they move from one place to another and there's just too much detail missing in terms of their journey, but also when they arrive, because they arrive at this sort of old, what used to be a uh, old people's care home that's now... And they come from the junkyard. They come to, from the yeah. junkyard to here. Um, there's also a bit where there's a bus, which again, 
the mm. logistics of whether Pabu gets into the bus or doesn't get into the bus. And there's just a few little bits that just need tweaking just to make the reader so the reader just knows where the characters are at all times and mm. how they're getting from A to B. Mm. Um, because suddenly they're in this grotto, and again, I'm like, how is there a grotto in this care home? Mm. Like, where is that coming from? What is, you know, was this. So then I started imagining all these things outside of the story. So I was thinking of those sort of old big Victorian country houses that had these grottos. And I'm, so my mind kept wandering away from the story because mm. there wasn't the detail there. I had to imagine it as something else outside the story. Oh, that's a really good point. So yeah. I think if you could just, if the writer could just sort of really describe everything, you know, it wouldn't, it's not even a matter of adding word count. It's just tweaking what is there mm. to make sure that we know exactly what is happening what everything looks like and how it is how this world looks mm. essentially yeah. yeah i agree um so if that's setting then i think one of the things that i'm i i'm most confused about with the story is character and that's the character especially greg and glenn and their relationship to habib so greg and greg and glenn 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 greg and glenn, greg. glenn. <laughs> i am terrible at names it's been established over all the podcasts i'm terrible at names I think those names are too similar, by the way, but that's a line edit point thing. They seem to be incredible. They're, they're, ter- they're awful bullies yeah. towards Habib. And Habib seems to take it in a way that I don't understand. He, mm-hmm. he is, he is, he, there is, there is nothing in the story that makes me think that Habib should be friends with these people. Yeah. Um, and is he friends with them? And I don't know where he knows them from because there's yeah. no mention of, are they school friends? Is, there's no mention of how these three boys came to be at this yeah. scrap heap, and they almost seem to be separated because Habib is never really with them. No. Uh, in the first part of the story, it's only yeah, as, as they start to show that they are bullying him, but also I'm unclear as to why they're bullying him. Yeah. And also they give up bullying him really easily. Yeah. So. I that's the thing. I I want to know what possible thing could Habib want from these two boys that he's so desperate for their attention and that you know their friendship. When all of they're doing is literally torturing him. Yeah, it's really is... that's, that's true. It's really not clear. And actually, on your Glenn and Craig point, mm. I think Glenn and Craig are just two slightly yes. generically similar characters. Yes. Mm. Um, so particularly Glenn, and I have some line edit things about this later. But his main feature is that he spits a lot. So yeah. you know, they're, they're, <laughs> like we need a little bit more differentiation between mm. them. I feel or more characterization, and just yeah, to understand what it is that is even driving all of these people to be in the same space and mm. why would Habib be trying to impress them um, and so one thing for me that was sort of a more general point is that there are a lot of ideas here mm. and particularly the relationship with the brother as you said I found that quite compelling like mm. that relationship in particular however this sort of like subplot I suppose of what his brother's getting up to in the Middle East I don't really understand how that integrates very well with this story mm. um, I'm kind of with the author, you know, in this junk heap and in this very kind of unusual environment, etc. But then there's this sort of other thing in the background, which I'm not sure has been integrated particularly well into the events, the current events of the story. I had a lot of questions about that angle because it's like, so we're being told that Habib's seen these videos, he can recognise his brother. Yes. In which case, so would... Everyone. Everybody, <laughs> including the intelligence services. Mm. So the idea that Craig and Glenn have also found this, stumbled across this video somehow. Mm. I'm like, so this is big, either this is big news and this guy's literally famous and he's been on the news that so everybody knows. 
Because otherwise, these guys wouldn't just find terrorism videos in YouTube. Mm. Or why mm. would they? Like, that sort of didn't make any sense. And also, yeah, if, if this guy's blowing up national monuments in the Middle East and his face is visible, which it appears that it is, like, how... I, I don't know. I think it yeah, would be, this, that would be true. the plot. This would be much bigger part of the story yeah well there Um, seems to be two videos as well like there's mm. a worse video in which an actual act of violence is being committed against a man Mm. um or a beheading of some description anyway um but then when everybody else seems to have seen the other video of him just blowing stuff up and so he's kind of believed about that so that just to me was a bit like yeah how much do people actually know like why does he know and other people don't know clearly they Mm. have found the videos why they're trying to be friends with Habib? Like I don't know. There's a lot of questions there. Mm. Um, if they yeah. all know that his brother is kind of scary. Yeah, I just think it's not making sense that bit. I mean, mm. I like the brother. I love that relationship. Yeah. And I like the idea that the brother has gone somehow um, from Habib's life, and then that he's trying to fill that gap potentially. Because the other thing that threw me is so Habib is twelve. Yeah. If his brother's run off to the Middle East. And has risen through a terrorism organisation to the point where he is featuring in these videos. From what I mean, I'm not the biggest expert on terrorism, <laughs> but the people that appear in those videos tend to be quite high up, don't they? Like the kind of people that have nicknames that are on the playing cards that that soldiers have. So I'm like, so he's been gone for a while. I would mm. read into that. He's been to the training camps or whatever. So he's probably what twenty mm. ish. Yeah. I was picturing, which means there's an eight year. Age gap. age gap and I, why are these two brothers playing together when there's yeah. this huge age gap I, I mean there was just it just it opened up a lot more questions yeah. that well, that's the thing, were distracting yeah distracting questions yeah. I, I'm not sure I, so I even said at the beginning that I thought they were teenagers I forgot that they were 12 because mm. for me they did read slightly like 14 year old boys or something but anyway like so I just assumed that the age gap was smaller basically between yeah. the brothers for some reason but you're right like it does open up a bunch of questions like how long has a brother been away it sounds like he hasn't been away that long yeah. in a way because yeah. no one because you have to assume if they don't know all of the details then he can't have been away long enough for those details to have emerged but yet they have emerged because there's videos yeah. i don't know there's a slight I, mean, I was just thinking about like i don't know if you guys have written uh, read home fire by camilla shanty yes. so yeah. um i love that book um one of the Super characters intense. gets radicalized and goes off and goes to the training camps and has a horrific time. And the way that she writes it with such detail and such clarity of how this ordinary sort of, I think he's like a teenage, teenager or a young um, adult in London can get radicalized. It's just done so cleverly, but so like, it's just a normal thing. It's just such an easy process that she takes you on. There's so much detail in there that you just believe this could happen to almost anybody. Mm. And I think this is the problem. There's not enough detail in here of how, you know, this... Because it's such a big thing to throw into a story. It's yes. kind of like, without, you know, doing a cliche, it's like throwing a bomb into a story when mm. you have suddenly this whole terrorism angle. And I think if you're going to do that, it needs to justify its place. Yeah. And I yeah. think it just feels a bit glossed over. Mm. And I think... It's almost no. too big for the story, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, it, it takes the whole, over the whole story, and I think it's, it's that's... all you can think about, and mm. it, it makes the relationship between Glenn Craig and Habib almost inconsequential. Yeah, because mm. we now have this huge question of why has his brother gone to the Middle East to do these 
this act of terror. Um, how is Habib dealing with it? Because we don't really get a sense of how he's dealing with it, apart from that he's missing his brother greatly. Um, and then what does the ending mean as well mm-hmm. of this story? Because one thing I'd like to go to towards the end of the general point is like, what does that ending mean for you two? Because for me, it was almost... It's so it's so ambiguous the ending, which is fine, and I completely I'm on board with ambiguous endings. But it almost implies that he um, Habib did this on purpose, so mm. that the two boys would jump in this pond from this great height, and that they would die, and that was the purpose of him taking them to this place. And is, does that imply that he was sort of trying to do what his brother's doing? Yeah, it's sort of. But I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think he's doing. I don't know. It seemed to me almost as though he was trying to prove himself to his brother more so than to Glenn and Craig. But you're right because there's this other thing with the brother. That's really your attention goes right there, and yeah. so yeah, Glenn and Craig don't seem particularly important. They're just like two people who get tossed in for the sake of you know facilitating the brother story. Mm. So the question to me, I actually think like the problem. Well. The main thing that I would question is the contract with the reader up front because mm. you don't get any sense of the fact that actually there's a magical realism element to this. You don't get mm. this sense that, you know, it's really about the relationship with the brother in those initial paragraphs. You don't get that for a while. So it's like you, you, when you do introduce the brother, it's not a small bit of the story. It's a no. big idea and yeah. it sort of comes a bit later on. And so the reader is <coughs> not expecting that to be the main so I think that means that you are reading it thinking it's going to be one thing and then by the end it's something else and then you're not sure what you were supposed to take away. Mm. So it's just filtering what is it that's actually the message of this yes. further up or what is the feeling we're supposed to be kind of entering into. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a, there, there are some stories where you don't have to do that, where there isn't yeah. a sense that you don't need a message at the end. It's just an experience that the author's taking you on and that's fine for some for sure. but. I think with this story, because it's so political, because it has such a strong element of, uh, of the crisis that the world is facing at the moment, uh, it's, I think it's impossible for that to happen. Mm. Like, we're going to start interpreting it. One interesting thing that I would like to talk about is that you both asked me, uh, before the podcast, yes. can you tell us who wrote this piece? And I said no, because it's anonymous, I'm not going to tell you. But why was that important for both of you to know? Like, you both said it independently. Why was it important for you both to know who wrote this story? I think for me, so there were two ways that I could look at this piece. So if the person that wrote this is Muslim and wants to include some of their own life experiences and I don't don't know why I decided to go on the terrorism route because I I do know quite a few Muslim writers and a lot of them shy away from it or they want to show a different side of it and and to show a more nuanced side of yeah, Muslim life. Yeah, yeah. and, and to, you know, rather than being portrayed as terrorists. So I, would, I was interested in knowing that mm-hmm. um, and also to, to discuss how they could... Because there were a few little bits in here, but, I, I mean, everything was Googleable, so I was like, well, I don't know if this writer is Asian. I don't... I just don't know. Mm. And I think if the writer is not Asian... They need to be really careful mm. because otherwise you're just following stereotypes. And I felt like a lot of things in the story to do with Habib's life, the little bits that we get, could be quite stereotypical. Mm. Um, I think partly is because, as I said, I do have a problem with, with there being a lack of detail throughout in, in all areas that just need, I mean, it just needs tightening up, essentially. Um, I think either way, whoever has written this piece, you just need to 
think about who is reading this and what they're going to take away from it. And if you want to portray a realistic Muslim experience, then I think you just need to add in a few... I don't know, I just get rid of terrorism. I do have a bit of an issue with the terrorism mm. thing, yeah. regardless of who, who has written it. I think mm. it is... It's, it's too explosive. Like bombshell, this is the problem. You you know you you're just that. getting you know um, some yeah, kind of right. homeland esque yeah kind of um, sensationalized mm. um, telling of um, of NASA and what he's out there doing. Mm. And I, yeah, I it's know. not in the detail. Like mm. it's just. I think you're right. I, that's the same reason I asked as well. It's mm. just that, you know, if I was, I am, I am not a Muslim person, so I don't know the details of the culture, but would love to know some more details maybe mm. of that person's experience. And I'm not sure I get them here. So yeah. instead it is dealing with a very incendiary topic that doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't tell me something more nuanced. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I was curious. Is this someone who's trying to portray something more nuanced and maybe not quite getting there, or is this somebody trying mm. to explain uh, to sort of explore a person and a culture that's not their own, and maybe also not being detailed enough, yeah, or, yeah. or you know, sympathetic enough in their research? Mm. Um, no, because as you said, agree. Louise, I think a lot of this is sort of Googleable, mm. so yeah. I'm not getting. And the, the excuse for Nasser being away is that he's gone to Pakistan to get married, and again, yes. obviously that does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other that's reasons. quite frequent, mm-hmm. but it. You know, it's almost like these are the two options. If you're no, they're not. <laughs> like they're really not the two only options for a Muslim life. He goes yeah. if he leaves home. Like yeah. I, I just would have liked there to be something. Details that told me that this writer was Muslim or not. Oh well, I I feel like not because I don't think the detail is in there. Mm. But it could just be somebody who is giving this a go, mm. and just you know maybe shying away. Because I know that when I first started writing, putting my own sort of culture my own thoughts you know my own experiences into my writing was really difficult it took it took me years to get a grip on that so this is why I'm not sure because I think it could just be someone who's still getting to grips with how they portray them their own culture as well Mm. and it could be this something that just needs to be worked on well I think we're all in conclusion that the the portrayal of this um Muslim character or these Muslim characters just doesn't feel authentic enough Mm. for some reason yeah. And we're not sure what it is, but it just doesn't feel authentic enough and it feels a bit too, as you say, Googleable. And therefore, it's leaning on stereotypes, is it, what and I was thinking. Yeah. And, yeah. and therefore, whatever the story is gets completely sort of um, sh- shadowed by this and it becomes mm. difficult for us yeah. to sort of find the, the story because mm. all we can think about is this brother who is committing acts of terror in the Middle East. Yeah, and I think the brother is really important because yeah. the strongest thing for me about this piece is this lost relationship between Habib yeah. and Nasser. Nasser absolutely needs to be out of the picture. There just needs to be a more creative way of getting yeah. whether he's getting dead. Out of the picture, yeah. Let's kill him off. Let's kill him off. Um or just some other reason. Like maybe mm. he mm. they were really close and now he's, you know, he's married prison. and got yeah. Or he's in prison or something. He's just left home and he's moved to the side of the country or he's got married and got his own family and now has no time for Habib. Mm. There could be lots of there are lots of really good reasons why he could yeah, no longer be, mm. you know, living mm. in the family home. But that's yeah. not to say that it's the piece is like 
we should just write the piece off entirely no, no, because no, I no. think there are, there are a lot of good elements I think there are good things here. It's just the yeah. matter of balance. And it's, yeah. you know, as we've been saying, you know, you could remove some details and give that storyline, if that's really the heart of this story, that you could give that more attention yeah. and more detail and it would mm. feel more authentic. Yeah. Right. So we better move on. Let's go on to line edits mm-hmm. with this in mind. Um, we can get pedantic as we like. So this is more about finessing the piece and trying to make some of these awkward lines a bit stronger. Uh, I want to start. I think Craig says the word chicken too much. There's a lot of chicken. (laughs) There's a lot of chicken. (laughs) And I I got very bored of it and I was like, no more chickens. Let's let's stop that. That was my thing. Yeah, same with the spitting. So Glenn Mm. spits three times. He can spit once. That's as much spit as I can. Um, <laughs> I do know people who spit a lot. I'm not, I won't call them friends, but... <laughs> but yeah. Just like in order to convey all of his emotions, yeah. he does it with spitting. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Just, yeah, a bit more creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to bring up the bus. Oh, yes. Okay. So... Right, should we... Um, Where is that bus bit? I'm trying to find Page. it. Uh, where's it gone? Also... The author did not put page numbers, which, oh, yeah. is, the, People, which, is, page numbers. which is the biggest sin. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put page numbers. Uh, um, I believe it's on the first. On the first page? Well, on my... Oh, it's, it's the... Oh, yes. Scrap, yeah, sort of okay. the scrap vehicles in yes, Miley's I'll, Yard. Yes, I'll read it out. The scrap vehicles in Miley's Yard were stacked behind a fence topped with razor wire, but the bus on Habib's side of the fence, an ancient open-top double-decker. What was left of the upper decker was buckled and mushy, and Woodlice scuttled about its peeling surface. He poked his head through a ragged hole to below where nettles grew up through the rusted chassis and there was a smell of old engine oil. So what did you have sort of, what was your issue? So, it's an there's nothing, well. yeah, so, mm. it, 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 so the description of it is great and I can mm. really picture that bus. It's the next bit where Habib gets in the bus, oh, he doesn't get in the bus, he sort of gets in the bus, but in the next minute, Craig and Glennon right next to him. And yeah. I'm like, I thought he was in the bus. But they're not in the bus. So how, like, I was just, mm. where is, where is a bit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he in the bus or is he not in the bus? I don't know. Yeah. For the listener, this is on page two. I'll, I'll yeah, add some. Yeah, page two. Because um, also he, so he rips his jeans below the knee. And they must have been skinny jeans because he unbuttons them and pulls them down rather than pulling up the leg. Yes. Ah. So that was another thing. I was like, ooh, what jeans? Why would he not? <laughs> I love it. You're a details person. I re- like, I'm not normally, but obviously for this, like I read the piece a couple of times. And I'm like, oh. Mm. Um, but they can see that he's pulled his jeans down. And then I'm like, so where are they? Are they peering through a window? Yeah. Or is he not in? I just, I was a bit, I just got completely lost as to where everybody was. Mm. Why he's pulled his jeans down. Yeah. Um... And it's a, it's a really easy fix. I, it's just... Yeah, we just have to be able to follow him a bit better. Yeah, which goes back to my general point. But this is like yeah. a specific point where I was like, I don't know what's, where everybody is or yeah. what's going on. Okay. Christina? Um, let me see. I mean, definitely I agree. Actually, some of the description is nice. It's really and, good. Mm, yeah. Um, and which is one of the reasons that we chose it. Yeah, think, totally. Because... I... The effectiveness of um, he drilled a finger in a nostril and flicked the content away. Yeah. I actually thought like, that <laughs> to a, me is like very effective. That's a really but, good line. Okay, so it's back to kind of my general point of you know signposting what it is that we're about to experience. But he just sort of very suddenly says, 
a place of magic of sprites and spirits and there's been really no hint until this point that there's anything magical going on mm. so i feel like either he has to say that much earlier mm -hmm. or say something else because so far what we know of habib is that he's quite shy he doesn't say much they keep taunting him like there's nothing to suggest where we're going mm. so it just feels like yeah i'm not i'm not quite following why he would just suddenly be like place of magic you know because that just seems not in character so far yeah so that would be my one kind of pedantic thing other than the spitting um, and yeah and i do think some of the dialogue from glenn and craig needs some massaging yes. because they could say i more. think that was the point before is that they need mm. to be made yeah more, more different yeah. yeah i need to know without you saying if it's glenn or craig who's speaking yeah basically and at the moment they're quite interchangeable. Yeah, I think the very easy, there's a very easy fix for that. I think you, you find a lot in literature is that one of them is the dominant character, one is yeah. sort of the weakling, or the sort of sidekick to the character. Yeah, especially with the bullying, there's always especially one the person yeah. that's the main bully, and the other guy is kind of like feels a bit bad about it, but yeah. goes along with it. Mm. Mm. So I, I have one point, another line edit issue, and that's to do with time and the ordering of things. Um, so I think there's the, the author has a bit of an issue with time. There's, a, there's an interesting bit on page 10 where Craig begins the countdown. Um, and then it goes, Craig began the countdown when he got to one. So there's no countdown. <laughs> there's no yes. sense of time passing in that moment. Mm -hmm. And what we need there is a sense of tension building up. Um, uh, yeah, and another point would be um, when, the very, on the very first page, there's a line that says, Craig and Glenn rode, there's the second paragraph, Craig and Glenn rode down the upturned bonnet of a Ford Fiesta toboggan-like down as dipping steeply from the lip to the to the lip of the crater to the bottom the bonnet scraped over the edge and gathered speed halfway down it hit a ridge bucked and came down hard at the bottom they yelped and howled like mad dogs so the issue there is ordering so in the first line the toboggan's already gone down the hill but mm. then we're back again to the bonnet being on top of the oh, hill yeah, yeah. and then coming down again and then we're at the bottom again Yes. So it's, it feels like I'm in some sort of like stop motion thing and I'm, yeah. being, and, and I'm like, okay, so I'm at the top of the hill, I'm down again, I'm up again, I'm at the bottom again. Mm. And that needs reordering so that it's smooth. So they start at the top, they go down the hill and then they're at the bottom yeah. and that's where it needs to be. And I think that's, a, that's often, I find that in a lot of people's writing is that mm. they're not doing the ordering properly yeah. or they get excited and so they add another bit at the end of the paragraph yeah. and haven't gone back to rework the paragraph to make it like that. Can I yes. So I do have a point, but also top tip to avoid things like that. Mm. Read your piece aloud. Yes. Yeah. It's excruciating, but if you have to listen to yourself, you'll pick up where you've gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. With things like that. And also dialogue. Because yes. if you make if your own dialogue makes you cringe <laughs> and you don't know who's speaking, yeah. <laughs> then you know that you need to change it. Yes. yes. I agree. Um, the other thing that's like a very pedantic point is, and again about reading out loud, there's a lot of issues with articles. So articles missing. He also swings an, an aimless boot. Presumably the boot's on his foot. So it should and be the and not... It should be the and... and or his, I don't know, his boot. But it's just like, I don't know, there's like a few small things like that, which I think if you just read it out loud, you would quickly realise, oh wait, hang on, is it belonging to me or someone else or what's going on? Right. Um, yeah, so reading aloud, I think that's one of the yes. biggest things we can take away from this. I think the author needs to read it aloud and see where the mistakes are. Um... Uh, I know a friend of ours, Ruth, she uh, records herself 
and then listens to herself back, sees how she feels about it, and uh, that's it's one really way to useful. do it. It's really useful. I mean, yeah, sometimes it can be excruciating, but <laughs> <It is. laughs> if you come up with a better piece of work at the end, yeah. then yeah. it is worth it. Good. I think especially the dialogue, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so I think we've sort of come towards the end. So what are our conclusions? So we want to know more about Habib and his relationship to his brother, and we want to sort of have a better understanding of whether uh, the cultural context in which this story is being told in, because yeah. at the moment we're not really getting that. And also, I, another point that I would really like is whether what is Habib and Glenn and Clegg's relationship? How, why does he want these two people who them. are awful yes. <laughs> and literally torture him, why does he want to be friends with them? Yeah. What's he proving? And how does he know them? And how does like, he know are they them? friends? Or... I've had so many questions. I think some of us, at the end yeah. of this piece, I had more questions than I started with. No. And I think you can end with some questions. Like, I'm still not sure if Habib meant for them to disappear. Yes. Which is that, fine. But that is fine. Mm. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is how they got to this point. How Habib got to this point, mm. both with his brother and with these two, Craig and Glenn. Mm. Good. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, so to end the show, we're going to talk about what are we reading at the moment? And any promo, promo stuff that we need to get out, mainly Louise, because you're the only <laughs> the thing. Please have a book. One day, one, one day. day. we'll have something to promote. <laughs> when that day comes. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a great day. Um, so let's start with Louise. What are you reading at the moment? So I've actually just finished mm-hmm. um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Oh, it's a good book. By Atasa Moshveg, mm-hmm. which um, is excellent. Mm. Five stars. Um... I actually read it at the weekend when there was a big storm going on, so I was kind of doing my own little bit of hibernating. So it was quite suitable, although I wasn't taking any prescription drugs. <laughs> um, and I felt so much better about my own life. Yeah. You know, I've not had to shut myself away for a year. Mm. So um, it's about a woman who just wants to fall asleep, doesn't she? She just wants to basically... Yeah, so her plan is basically she she sort of gives up... Well, she gets fired, but she kind of aimed towards getting fired... And she's just going to, she finds herself a sort of psychiatrist who will basically just prescribe her whatever drugs she wants and give her out samples. And she sort of stockpiles um, so that it will get her for a year with basically, the only thing she does is go down to the bodega and buy coffee. Mm. She doesn't really even eat that much. Yeah. Wow. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a yeah, it's a great psychological novel, which I love. I love psychological novels so much. I'm trying to write one at the moment. Oh, did I write one? Maybe I've written one. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to write one at the moment because I love just getting it right into the author's head. Not much happens, does it? There's not much drama, but well, it's more literally habitating in an <laughs> yeah. apartment for a year. But... but it's about that sense yeah. of that. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's, it was quite interesting because it is obviously someone of privilege because she can afford to do this. Mm. Um, so there, there's a bit of convenient. In terms mm. of her background, you know, she could sort of get by. But um, it was just so well written that you don't mind the fact that oh, her parents have just died and left her this money so she can afford to. I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay, that seems. Sometimes that's, you need That's these fine. These yeah, she had like a beautiful devices. apartment mm. um, in a really nice area of Manhattan. I'm like, yeah, that seems legit. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christina, what are you reading at the moment? I am reading a non fiction book about writing. Okay. Um, which is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And um, I'm really enjoying it. I've What's been it telling people about it. 
it's, it's really just about writing and like the choices you kind of make in order to be a writer, but also just her personal life story, I guess, in terms of writing. So she does have stuff on like plot and dialogue, etc., etc. But um, yeah, just like uh, the sort of, I guess the book starts with her talking about the fact that her father was also a writer and it took her some time to realize that he was not like mentally ill because she just was like, every other dad goes to an office and like wears a suit, blah, blah, blah. So she kind of, it's just her coming to terms with like, this is what a writer does. You sit in a room and you do this for <laughs> however many hours. And then, but also in a very upbeat and lovely way. So I'm finding it quite nice. Like it's giving me info, mm. writing tips, um, but also just sort of addressing, I guess, not existential concerns, but the more emotional concerns that you might have as a writer. Mm. Uh, it's written in a very upbeat way, although it has not necessarily aged 100% well, but okay. it's still pretty good. So yeah, that sounds I good. I'm, I'm up for that. I, I've only read um, On Writing by oh, yeah. that's Stephen, the, King. Stephen King. That's the mm-hmm. classic one. Um, uh, I just finished uh, Golnish Noor, her new short story collection, The Ministry of Guidance, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And there is a podcast about it that should be out now, then you can listen to it, maybe, or it's coming out. I don't know. Check the website, <laughs> mirroronline.org slash podcast, and you can see. But yes. it was, it's a fantastic piece, and um, I had a really interesting chat with Golnish about it uh, in, the, in a pod, in upcoming or has-been podcast, um, all about uh, that and sort of the, her talking about the Iranian experience in a way that's more authentic than what we get through basically the news, which sort of shows that Iran is like this crazy evil regime when in fact it's nothing like that at all mm. and I think it was so fascinating and from a queer perspective as well which was so so good and um, if, if whenever this comes out you can probably pre-order it at muswellpress.com nice. great anything to promote um, please buy my book okay. um, so it's actually not out till the 12th of March but you can pre-order it pre-order it I'd love it if you pre-ordered it because it all counts towards my first week's sale which <laughs> people should be very happy about so it's called This Lovely City and yeah. actually you can get it in any good bookshop, so yeah, independent or hive.co.uk is really good if you want to buy online ethically, or obviously Amazon, or actually if you buy it from Waterstones, there is a limited edition, special edition with a deleted scene. A deleted Ooh. scene? A deleted scene. Oh. Yeah. Which nobody else cut. has. <laughs> and it's signed as well. I have to go, in fact, I'm going to the printers next week to sign all of them. Wow. I know, it's very exciting. A deleted scene? Yeah. Have I read that deleted scene? I don't know if you have actually. Oh. Maybe you should buy the Waterstones one, then you can get All the full right. experience. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I have two copies of your book, but that's fine. We need as many copies as we possibly can get yeah, hands on. I need the money. Cool. Um, depending on when this has come out, no, no, I actually would no, that's not true. It's, it's almost like you're not in charge. Peter. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the only person in charge of when any of these podcasts get put yeah. online. Uh, so yes. From the mere side, we have um, other podcasts you can listen to, the last episode. Um, there is also a workshop by Kaylee Cassidy that's all about uh, using collage in your writing. That's on March 28th. You have to quickly go to mirroronline.org slash workshops right now to see if any tickets left because they are selling out very, very quickly. And we didn't even promote it yet, but... I've not even heard about it. No, that. exactly. I've for miss. <laughs> I, was, I was just starting to write it and we found that four tickets have already gone. And it's only wow. 20 tickets. So it, that's, you know, that's what? A percentage of it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't do that. We don't do that. We can. We can. We can do it. 40? No, not 40%. No. Stop it. 20 Stop it. 20%. 20%. 20%. Oh my good lord. <laughs> No, no, five percent. We're ending this podcast now. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and always, as always, just go to our site and have a look. 
um, of what we've got going on. Do you have anything to promote, Christine? Not a thing. <laughs> Not a thing, Peter. One day. One day. In a year's time, there'll be so <laughs> much to this promote. Space. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the other podcast, of course. Yes, the other podcast. Yeah. So, everyone, go to miraonline.org slash present. Find this episode. Find the file and you can download it. Download it. Have a look at it. Follow along with this podcast. Have a read. And let us know what you think. And if you're really, really a good student and you want to do your homework, <laughs> do a critique of the work and send it to us and we can send it to the author. And yeah. I think it's something that would be very, very valuable for the author and for you as, as, as part of this virtual workshop. Great. Okay, in the next episode, we're going to do a piece called... Anybody know? Margaret. Is it? I think oh, yeah. the next yeah, one is a piece called Margaret. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming and doing this again. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.